The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! God, you're off kilter, uh, Paul. Uh, 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 hey, don't, don't don't distract me. Don't distract me. I gotta I gotta okay. I gotta I gotta stay focused. Focus. I gotta stay focused. Focus. Walking a real uh, tightrope there, huh? James, James, I uh I'm gonna go ahead and need you to be uh, my guide here. I'm gonna need okay. some coaching to get to the other okay. side. I got this. you. I'm spotting you. Um, I'm spotting you. Tall you just gotta breathe. You gotta scraper b- I'm walking in between. You're you're Whoa. 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 Uh, James, do you have any sage like words of wisdom as I walk this tightrope here amongst the clouds and the planes and the birds and the angels? Um, yeah. <sighs> just Whoa. look down. Oh God! Oh, it's so far. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a, so it's a, far down, yeah, and that I know, was such I know. bad Paul, advice. Down. It's okay. Okay, just just breathe. It's it's okay. a trick that we we here in the tightrope business and the spotting business like to pull on you. It's it's a trick we like to pull on you. It's called a trick on you. <laughs> I don't. I didn't find that trick very funny, James. <laughs> no, it's a simple trick that we do. Um. <laughs> Okay. All right, James, James, I'm going to need you to give me good advice while I'm on this tightrope. Right, need... right, right. Good advice, good yes. advice. Um, what you're going to want to do I is... I hear a bird calling. Okay, I might have just been the big door closing. It, it could also be the angel Gabriel. In the... <laughs> I'm very high up, James. In the, in the fiction that we're I'm building, so that was God closing the door on you. <laughs> And, James, and I need some Satan. advice. Uh, I am swaying back and forth with the wind here. Would you tell me that that I should stop that? Perhaps I should be a little more stable. You, what's another word for stable, James? Help me here. 
I need some advice. Paul, you got... <laughs> I just got where you're going with this, like, just now. I just understood where you're going with this, and boy... James, I'm gonna die. I can hear Paul, the angel Gabriel. Paul, five on the five. <laughs> Steady as she goes. Uh, hi. Hi. Hello. Hi, guys. I, um... I'm, you guys uh, like Paul these Kaminsky, intros, right? And uh, I don't think anyone does. And I'm the co-host of this uh, podcast, the Third Men Podcast. Right. And I'm James Kaminsky, your other co-host of this podcast, the Third Men Podcast. <laughs> and this is a Jack White uh, history podcast. You wouldn't know it from listening, but we are. We yeah. swear. Now. Um, where we go over uh, Jack White and Third Man Records accoutrement, you might mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm. Um, albums and songs and, and films. Uh, Jack White and Jack White adjacent, a countryman, <laughs> which is what, how I say country singers. Countryman? The vast majority. Oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of country singers. It's <laughs> a real bad Um And, yeah, we're taking a break from our normal uh, study of women country singers and numerology to bring you this um, album analysis and review of one of our favorite albums of all time, James, wouldn't you say? I would agree to that. It is one of Jack White's best, I would say. Uh, mm. One of his biggest departures from what he normally does. And I think it was pretty successful departure and of course we're talking about the raconteurs debut album broken boy soldiers the 2006 defining moment you might call it in the jack white lore and uh, we're really excited to get to this we haven't really done too many raconteur shows we did a show about the broken boy soldiers tour but we never sort of went through the album and james every once in a while we do album analysis and review shows that's right and this is no exception paul because this album's a doozy and re- deserves the analysis and review that we will give it. Yeah, so we're going to go through the history and we're going to do a track by track and this is going to be a two-parter as most of our album analysis and review shows tend to be. We're going to go through and just talk about its inception and then at the very end of it, uh, probably next episode, James, we're going to give it a rating and that's going to be very exciting for all of you. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll be riveting and you'll be on the edge of your seat, but before we do... All of that, Paul. Is there something we gotta stop doing? I believe we gotta stop breaking down. Breaking down. Stop breaking down. Stop breaking down. Please stop breaking down. Uh, This is Stop Breaking Down, James. You want to tell the good people what Stop Breaking Down means? I sure would, Paul. Stop Breaking Down is when we get something wrong, and we live up to it, and we own up to it, and you folks out there tell us when we're wrong, or we folks in here, and I'm pointing to my brain right now, uh, we also realize (laughs) we're wrong, and we try to tell you that we're wrong in this segment, Stop Breaking Down. And that's right, James. I couldn't have said it better myself. Now, this Stop Breaking Down is something, actually, we normally credit Callie Durga with these, but this is actually something I caught in doing the research for this very episode. How exciting is that? Let's get things straight, Paul. Callie probably already typed this to us at this <laughs> juncture. 
because time is a flat circle, I'm sure she did. In our episode 33, a.k.a. The Big Three, we, uh, I, I, rather, you know, James, I don't want to involve you in this, okay? This was just my mistake. I had said that in searching for a connection to the number three with the tours, I said in error mm. that, uh, oh, well, hey, Jack and uh, Brendan lived three blocks away from each other in Nashville when they wrote Steady As She Goes together. But mm-hmm. Steady As She Goes, as we will learn in this very podcast, was written and recorded in Detroit, as we will talk about in this very show, Broken Boy Soldiers, as an album, is really the last real Detroit album Jack White made. Ah. So far. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so in my haste, I made the connection between uh, Steady As She Goes in Nashville, which there is sort of a connection there, but we'll get into that more in the show. But actually, it was all sort of done in Detroit, and uh, hey, look, I'm uh, sorry for breaking down. Well... Paul found himself a fact and he's breaking down. (laughs) It's a simple lie and he's breaking down. (laughs) And you know what? While we're vamping and not actually getting into the episode at hand, I just got off the phone with our father, our shared father. All you listeners out there, we share a father and a mother. We share both. Not only did we visit Graceland, we visited Loretta Lynn at her home we didn't see her but we saw her tour bus we went to her ranch we saw the house where she grew up that she had delivered there we were at loretta lynn's ranch i had no idea james in the very trip that we brought up in that episode with our mother we brought that up but we didn't bring wow uh, we completely just missed that we were there with loretta lynn and dad reminded me Dad and Mom actually reminded me on the phone that we were there. James, I think that's sort of a weird retroactive, I think I smell a fact. Hey, look, I think we just smelled a fact. (laughs) (laughs) When I reflect on that fact. But anyway, James, uh, it's funny you bring up Loretta Lynn, because that brings us to Broken Boy Soldiers, an album born from the seed that Van Leer Rose sowed. Right, the roses sow the seeds. (laughs) We would be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't start this discussion of the album Broken Boy Soldiers with Brendan Benson and Jack White's songwriting partnership, James. They've had a long history together, James. Yeah, they've they've known each other for quite a while. Yeah, they they collaborated as early at at least as the mid to late 90s, uh, and Brendan performed alongside Jack, calling themselves Jack White and the Bricks. They released a performance of of those two together in the Third Man Records vault. Would that make Brendan the brick? I think he is the brick <laughs> in that scenario. Uh, but, you know, Brendan rooted in the Detroit music scene. Detroit plays a, as we as we sort of alluded to earlier in this episode, it plays sort of a big role in Broken Boy Soldiers, a bigger role than I thought, and actually kind of along the same lines as Get Behind Me Satan, if you venture to uh, follow me on that trail, James. I would love to follow you down that Detroitian trail. It makes sense <laughs> to me. Because 
not only is Brandon Benson a Detroit native and longtime friend of Jack, the two other members of the Tours, Patrick Keeler and Jack Lawrence, were both a part of the Greenhorns, which was also a Detroit band that Jack was hanging around with and knew, knew very well. So it makes sense that there's a lot of Detroit in this album. Oh, it's funny you bring that up, James. Is it? Via Interview Magazine, the person conducting that interview asked the Tours later, once they had been together for a little while, how they all met. And uh, Patrick Keeler said, we all met each other around the same time. LJ, or Little Jack, Jack Lawrence, and I knew each other, but we met Brendan and Jack in 98. Jack said, it was at the Gold Dollar, a bar in Detroit. That's where all the bands were playing. Patrick Keeler says, it was like, wow, I want to know that guy. It just clicked. Jack had us over his house, and we hung out from then on. Brendan Benson said, I was a super fan. I love the Greenhorns. I love the White Stripes. Uh, And then little Jack Lawrence adds, I actually knew Jack and Brendan before I'd even heard their music. Jack White says, oh, really? That's hilarious. So you're the last real person I met. (laughs) Uh, I love this group. They've known each other for quite a while. Jack told The Aquarian, which is a website which we'll be hearing a lot from, we were all running in the same circles back in Detroit, says Jack White. We had been friends for so long, and we had all played together in different ways over the years. Brendan produced the Greenhorn 7-inch EP, and we all worked on Loretta Lynn's album together. All these things just sort of trickled into the band, explains White. We ended up playing a bunch of shows together in Detroit, and from there, we talked about making a record. So they had been talking about making a record for a little while. It sounds like whilst the White Stripes were becoming famous and sort of during the inception of it all, and this was something that had been brewing for quite some time. Hmm. That's interesting. You could see some of these relationships blossoming and becoming things if you look at Jack's touring schedule, which we, we go over occasionally, and you could see that he tours a lot with with different Detroit bands, and you could see these relationships forming. In fact, Vault DVD, White Heat, which is a tour documentary, kind of, or a documentation of a tour between Whirlwind Heat and Jack White. You know, there's you could see these connections he's making with all these other bands during the White Stripes era. Yes, and he was still kind of on shaky but agreeable grounds with the Detroit scene, although it was definitely becoming rocky, and his friends were becoming more apparent, and his enemies were also becoming more apparent. So the people that were becoming jealous of Jack and his success were starting to come to the fore, but also the people that were going to support him and become his musical peers were also coming to the fore at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into Jack and Brendan's friendship on a full episode about those two, but Brendan and Jack knew each other for a long while, and Brendan was a regular support act, actually, for the Stripes in uh, 2002 on the Blood Cells tour. Hmm. Where we're at right now, the time period we're talking about is sort of 2005-2006 era. Where Jack and Brendan are at at this point in their careers, Jack has just been married to Karen Elson, which he got married to her on the Satan tour in uh, the Brazilian rainforest. Mm -hmm. And he's about to have his first child. Scarlett would be born in May of 2006. So Jack is thinking about a family at this point Mm -hmm. in his life. And he's also thinking about not for for once he's thinking about not necessarily struggle, but where he wants to be, what makes him comfortable, which is uh, weird for him to think about. Yeah, the opposite of what he normally thinks about. 
Right. Brandon's just getting some traction in his career, actually. Uh, his song, What I'm Looking For, would catch the attention of Apple Computers and make its way into an ad a few years later. Hmm. And Brandon was uh, working on the album The Alternative to Love, in addition to having put out his other solo material prior to this, uh, which I, I think we would agree is very good. We both enjoy yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Jack and Brendan's friendship really blossomed more once Jack's rift with Detroit was solidified. Jack viewed Brendan as a like mind, and he represented to Jack a kindred spirit that was someone unspoiled by the music business like he thought he was starting to become. So all these other people, I mean, we won't get into the fight he had with that person and all the rifts that were starting to form with other bands like the go and these other people but he was starting to look around detroit and say okay who are my friends here and, and brendan benson bubbled to the surface as being one of those people he felt he could trust musically and on a, a human level mm. so jack and brendan had collaborated on release material several times actually james including the live at the hotel yorba recordings of hotel yorba and rated x Yes, 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 um, yes. Which they recorded live at the Hotel Yorba, <laughs> as well as during Loretta Lynn's Family of Rose album in 2004, uh, specifically the song Little Red Shoes, James, as you talked about on episode 32, Family of Rose, where Jack yeah. wrote and recorded the music and Brendan engineered the session. Yeah, which makes it technically a full Tours record at that point. Basically, um, which I actually had no idea until you did... Uh, your episode that I had no idea Brandon was even involved in that album. So how do you be honest? How do you do the well, we all know each other for a long time. Uh, since '98, back in Detroit, we all met at shows, and then uh, we've all toured together. Then uh, Jack and Patrick and I were also on Loretta Lynn's album. We were all played Loretta Lynn's album together, and that was like the final big step to us all getting together. Uh, so this is via the uh, that Empire from the Blues book in May of 2004 on what was one of many visits Jack made to Brendan's home in Detroit's East Side, Brendan played Jack the demo for a song he was working on. He didn't really know what it was called, but there there was one verse, and it was Find Yourself a Girl. Uh, and that was it. He just had that verse. That was all he had. And he had sort of the melody that went along with it. And uh, that would be the song that turned into Steady As She Goes. Um so the house Brendan was living in at the time was a very nice house in a very bad area. Uh, in fact, some crackheads broke into his home one night, and when Brendan chased them out into the street, he got stabbed in the process. Oh my god. He was also jumped and robbed at a gas station while he was pumping gas. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, uh, So he wasn't living in an awesome part of Detroit. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's... All right. Well, it's slightly before the housing crisis and before the real big fall of Detroit. I think right now it's, as Jack would say, rising from right. the ashes, but uh, at this point it's slumping down. Uh, 
industry is left at this point. Yeah, and they're still holding on, but at the expense of their own health, I suppose. This is via Uncut Magazine. Brendan Benson says, I remember writing the main part of Steady As She Goes and recording a little demo on a little tape recorder. All it was was, find yourself a girl, find yourself a girl, just the same line over and over again. And then Jack came by the house and I played it for him. He liked it and we just started writing, as he does. He's good at that. He just finished the lyric. Jack White said, Brendan only lived three blocks away from me, so I would stop by quite often just to say hey and see what's going on. Brendan said, Jack, please help me write some lyrics, because I'm all tapped out. He played me the demo of Steady As She Goes that he'd done, which he played all the instruments on. I wonder if that demo was floating around. Yeah, that'd be cool. And it was like a slow reggae version, a lot slower. But he only had one line, find yourself a girl and settle down. So I just took the book and started writing. The song changed identity later when Patrick Keeler and Little Jack Lawrence showed up a few days later. They happened to be in town, so we said, you guys should come over and play on this. Hmm. This is via that website, The Aquarian, again. This is Brendan talking. Me and Jack never really had to share songwriting responsibilities with anyone before. So we decided to try every different option. Every song was different. No two songs seemed alike, and it carried over to constantly changing nature of our live shows. And this is via jambands.com. Brendan was asked what it was like pitching songs to Jack. When I proposed something, it would be like, yeah, cool, perfect. And then there were songs that I kept for myself that I didn't want to give up. So they're beginning to form a songwriting partnership during this time, and It looks like Steady As She Goes and the follow-up Broken Boy Soldier were the first two salvos in that relationship. Hmm. So this has a a lot of, I guess the the echoes would be later on, but the Dead Weather, it's it's similar to to the Dead Weather in that this is a lot of happenstance of them getting together. It's not pre-planned. No. More like just some friends getting around to bang out a song, you know? Basically, yeah. I mean, in fact, what you just said comes up a bunch in this interview. Like, they just talk about, hey, we don't want to play in any of this stuff. It just happened. And it sounds like Jack was just going over there very often, and Brendan showed him this recording. Hmm. Which I hope is still floating around and that they didn't get rid of. So that brings us to forming a group, James. They got to... This is starting to form a group. Hey! Yeah, it's a a pretty uh, good-looking group, if you ask me. You know, it's got... uh... It's got us. Uh, it's got us two strong songwriters. It's got some strong drumming. It's got a strong bassman. Uh, I, I I like it. I I really do. It's really. You want the. <laughs> you want the Jack White? I'll. <laughs> is this is this Jimmy Stewart telling us about this? <laughs> No, no, it's it's not. It's it's just me. Uh, I just wanted to say that I really enjoy this raconteur story that you're telling me, and I just want you to know that if you want, if you want the moon, <laughs> I'll give you the moon. If you want Brendan Benson, well, I'll just put a rope around him and I'll pull him in and then I'll bring him right down to you. you This is too wonderful to ask you to stop. Well, James uh, slash Jimmy, you raise a great point. The Greenhorns become an essential part of this operation here and... Basically, after Jack and Brendan wrote and demoed Steady As She Goes and Broken Boy Soldier, 
They called in their Van Leer Rose collaborators and Greenhorn's rhythm section, Jack L.J. Lawrence and Patrick Keeler. But, as it turns out, they were in town already to record some demos with Brendan, and Jack was driving them to Brendan's place. He played them the steady demo that he and Brendan had done together to L.J. and Keeler in the car on the way to Brendan's place. So, Brendan comes up with this demo, plays the song, Jack's like, that's cool, let me finish that for you, and here's another song, and let's collaborate on that. Then they get a second demo tape, which I'm sure also must exist, and then Jack plays that to Patrick and Jack Lawrence in the car, and then that's when this idea for a band starts to form. Oh, man, it's probably on cassette tape, too, so it has all those weird <laughs> hissing noises. And Ah, oh, man, this, yeah. this has to exist. I, I, Brendan's in the mix. It's no, not just Jack, so it's not just instantly being deleted. Yeah, I, I gotta imagine this exists. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could still be ready made. <laughs> How did it all begin? Then this. Let's call it. Shall we call it a collaboration? Is that a better way of describing a it? A band. Oh, I'm a band. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So how did this band come about then? Yeah. You know, we went over to Brendan's house one day, and I was writing a song, and uh, I was struggling with the lyrics. I didn't have any lyrics. And, uh, and Jack stopped by and, uh, and I asked him to have a go with the lyrics and he came up with Steady As She Goes. This is via Uncut Magazine. Patrick Keeler said, Brendan and Jack just wrote the song to write it and they weren't trying to make an album or anything. That's referring to Steady As She Goes. I heard it in Jack's car when he played it for me. Like, check out what me and Brendan made. Little Jack and I were coming up anyway to record some demos with Brendan, so we all four happened to be in town at the same time, so we recorded that song. We kind of changed it up a little bit, making it more rocking. It probably took five or six songs before we realized we were making a record. (laughs) So we started naming songs and then started naming our band. We stopped at around ten songs because we figured we could have just gone on and on. Wish they did. they never stopped. Oh boy. This is via the AV Club. The interviewer asked, Why do you think the raconteurs happened now? Jack White says, We talked about it for years. We should make a record together, or wouldn't it be great if we were in a band? But with all our other bands and how busy we've been over the years, the only way for it actually to happen is by accident. It never would have been a planned thing. Like, in September, we will all get together and we will start this band. You can't do that. It was by accident, because Steady As She Goes happened by accident, and Keeler and Lawrence happened to be coming to Detroit around that time. About recording for the first time, Jack says via Uncut Magazine, The best part of Steady As She Goes is that it was the first time the four of us ever recorded together. People always say, God, my demo sounded so much better than my album. I mean, it was great to be in Brendan's attic, where it was 120 degrees, and we wanted to get the hell out of there. (laughs) Most of the White Stripes albums are recorded in really harsh conditions, in the dead of winter. And that's really the best way to record a record, because when you get comfortable, you stop messing up. So, yeah, the majority of this album and the demos were all cut in Brendan's attic, and it was apparently super hot and really (laughs) uncomfortable up there. Yeah, it's... uh... Well, I mean, I guess Jack's getting back to it, but it's uh, in yeah. a different way. Yeah, that that makes sense. It all tracks mm. <laughs> with the Jack White experience. The yellow sun was heating up the room in the afternoon. Ah, ah, waka waka. Yeah, you never know when something funny is 
going to happen on this show. Did something funny happen? Yeah. You'd never know it. <laughs> the final roster of the band turned out to be Jack White on vocals, guitar, keyboards, production, and mixing. Brendan Benson on vocals, guitar, keyboards, and production. Jack Lawrence on bass, guitar, and backing vocals. And Patrick Keeler on drums. Via Uncut Magazine, Brendan said, The cool thing about the tours is that there are two approaches to the music. It's like the duality of man. Yin and Yang devil and angel and i think this song is like that too referring to steady as she goes i don't always understand jack's part in it and he probably doesn't always understand my part in it what i like most about songwriting is sneaking in an idea where it doesn't belong a bunch of kids jumping up and down singing steady as she goes if you think about it it's kind of ironic because <laughs> all the dude bros are out there singing yeah let's be responsible <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of amazing, actually. Yeah, they definitely wrangled in a certain crowd with this album. The AV Club asks, How does playing with the raconteurs compare to your other projects? Brennan Benson says, It's completely different for me. Since I'm a solo artist and now I'm part of a band, which I always wanted to, it's easier to brainstorm, and it's fun. You're encouraged and inspired by others. In this band, it's especially that way for me, because they're my favorite musicians. They've been my favorite musicians for so long, and I get to play with them now. Aww. And Uncut UK asks Jack, is it a holiday? Jack White says, it is, yeah. When we worked on Loretta Lynn's album, it was enjoyable, but it wasn't necessarily fun time. I mean, we had to go to work, there was a job to be done. Whereas when we started this band, there was no, this is going to be a soul band, or this is going to be a big rock band. Nobody said anything about anything we were going to be. I guess that helps with songwriting, too, because you don't have hesitation. You know, you're not like, this has to be this way, so I can't write this song. So, you know, I'm sure it feels a little more free in that respect. I think absolutely you're right, James. I think he felt freed up by this arrangement. The success that you had with is with White Stripes is all about this incredible stripped-down kind of sound. It did, has it made you long to be in a band? Well, yeah, I guess it, this... It's, e- it's easier to be in this band because it's so opposite yeah. of that. You know, there's no constrictions. I like... find in the, in the Who I, I can disappear. That's what I love about <laughs> yeah. You know, did if you I do sound... stuff on my own, I just find... I, it, it, and the Roger carries so much of the... Uh, of the way right. the front right, right, right. Uh, that's what I love about it that I can just you know I can just just rest right, yeah, exactly. like go with the music and let the music that's how I feel I, I, I've got a solo career also and, yeah. um, and this has been and forever since I, you know, my whole life I've wanted to be a part of a group I never wanted to be solo you know so this is this is my chance now. Yeah. Via NME, Jack said, This record happened because I was passionate about doing it, and it's very much long-term for me. Besides, I could never shoot the bass player in the White Stripes. This band gives me that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Poor little Jack. He's growing out his hair at this point. So now we're going to talk about recording the album! Hey, record. In some accounts, the Stripes were recording Satan between Raconteur sessions, but at the very least, they were recorded around the same time. So, Get Behind Me, Satan, 
and Broken Boy Soldiers definitely in the same time frame of recording. Mm. And you're working with, uh, Brandon, you're working with uh, the, some of the guys from the Greenhorns who mm. we also recorded a session with today yeah. that we're going to broadcast uh, at another time. Um, what do you get out of that? What do you get out of working with other people and um, perhaps recording some of some of, uh, of their songs? I'd always done that ever since I've had a chance to record other bands. A lot of, I did a lot of 45s in Detroit, a lot of bands that were coming through town or in local bands on a label called Italy Records and then uh, but I've always liked to, to work with other people I like collaborating you know it makes me feel like inspired to, to work on things but excuse me I've actually started a whole new band uh, or we've started a whole new band me and Brendan and Patrick and Jack from the Greenhorns we've started a whole new band called the and Tours and we're recording an album right now so uh, it wasn't it's not really I don't even consider it a side project or anything or it's not like me and Brendan working or me producing Brendan or, or whatever we were just we just want to start a whole new band and and uh you know to go right along the side of the white stripes you know which is odd because in i feel like this seems like a happier place for jack whereas get behind me satan seemed like a much darker place for jack mentally and yet when you really start to look at the lyrics they point out a growing agitation Mm. Um, which I never really detected before I started looking into it, particularly in the song Intimate Secretary, which we'll get into next episode. But the group recorded the album at Legrand Studios in Detroit, Michigan, which sounds very prestigious, James, but which is really just Brendan Benson's attic. Oh, cr- <laughs> <laughs> good. Very good. It's stately. It's cozy. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of uh, potential. Yeah, and uh, as asbestos, yeah, a lot of asbestos. A lot of asbestos. They're doing as best as they can. I think that number raises a pertinent question. What's that? Why did they do it? <laughs> well, I'm out of here, folks. <laughs> the studio really has only two credits to its name: this album and its single, and Brendan Benson's album, "The Alternative to Love," released the year prior. Wow, he also recorded that in his attic. Yes, he did. The attic. Oh, really? Is it? Yeah. Wow. We made our record in an attic. We made this album in, in Brendan's attic. So. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> and it was equally as hot. Yes. Was it? It yes. was about like this. I got about- Via Empire from the Blues, he had a studio in the attic of his home on East Grand Boulevard. The home itself was nice, but resting on, quote, Indian Village amidst the East Side's disrepair, unquote. Via Uncut magazine, Brendan says, It's debatable when the birth of the raconteurs was. We wrote Steady, but then we wrote Broken Boy Soldier. I think on the same day. It all happened without talking, almost. Screwing around, having fun. Everything was done so fast. Steady As She Goes is an early take, if not the first take. Jack was like, okay, cool. I thought that was great. I was like, wait, we were recording? (laughs) So he pulled the little red shoes with him. Exactly. I mean, that's what you were describing in the Van Lee Rose episode, like him just springing this on people and being like, yep, first take, done. (laughs) The album was recorded in about three weeks via the Aquarian. Jack says, the sessions were recorded really fast. We did all 10 songs in just a few days. We really didn't realize we were a band until halfway through the recording process. Wow. To us, we all just had some time off. The next thing we knew, we were turning into a band and making a record. So instead of taking additional time and trying to make Sgt. Pepper, we decided to just try to get a snapshot of what the band was when we first got together. So we stuck those 10 songs and set them all to live tracks. Brendan did a lot of the engineering, but we also hired White Stripes live engineer Matthew Kettle. 
he did Get Behind Me Satan. We wanted to add a live engineer to the equation just to see what would happen, and we got some cool tones that way. Hmm. So when they say live tracks, is that are they referring to them all together in the same room live? Or? I think that's what that implies, yeah. yeah. I mean, it makes sense. They're all in an attic. Yeah. Via the AV club, Jack White said, Given our history, I suppose you could have thrown us all on stage a year ago and something interesting might have happened, just off the cuff. We didn't rehearse for the album. We just went in and wrote songs and recorded immediately. The whole album is just a time capsule of that first week. Huh. It's Jack's summer camp. That's what this is. (laughs) Welcome, kids. You're going to be spending a lot of time here, so... uh... If you get homesick, there's a telephone. <laughs> Call your parents. You can do it once per day. And uh, uh, Jack, get over here. Get over here. Uh, <laughs> I know you like the cold, uh, but it's very hot no. in here, and you're going to have to put on plenty of sunscreen with that pale complexion. Now, 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 now little Jack, now, there is a there is a camp store for which you can buy a merchandise and paraphernalia. <laughs> and if you go in there, you're going to go ahead and buy yourself three pocket knives. Now... Don't ask me why. You're gonna need your totin' shit for that, uh, which, you know, (laughs) I have to just say, you kids, if you don't play safe with these knives... Now, don't listen to the Scoutmaster here. This guy uh, doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, Jack, you gotta listen to your Scoutmaster. He knows what's right. Don't play by the rules. Don't box yourself in. Well, look, you go over there... We'll play by too many rules, conversely. We'll play band practice, and you'll get your band merit badge, and we'll we'll record it and send it off to your parents. We're we're making Dutch oven cooking. I I just want you to know that the cobbler, and don't don't get that con- now, Carl, Carl Butterball. I did not say gobbler. <laughs> All right. That sounds like you got a nasty loogie in your throat, Carl. <laughs> I've been drinking the water from downstream all day, and it's filled with pesticides from the Waterball <laughs> family plantation. <laughs> That's where my great voice comes from. You see. Where are they anymore? They were in his attic, and now they're on... All right. Uh, James, to co-engineer this album along with Brendan Benson, they called in a guy named Patrick Hutchinson, a.k.a. Hutch. Now, James, do you have any idea what makes Hutch an interesting footnote in the Jack Whiteiverse? Uh, He's something delightful to store most of your Uh sheets and clothes and trading cards you you know hangers and and hats in him patrick hutchinson aka hutch is a founding member of queens of the stone age oh well there's a connection i didn't expect to see he worked as an engineer on them crooked vultures as well wow all right as well as Ricky Skaggs, Dolly Parton, and more. Hutch was the one that recorded that first rack show at Irving Plaza as well. I see. Dean Fertitta spoke a bit about this on a website called Under the Radar. He said, quote, In 2006, I was playing with the Rack and Tours, referring to the ensuing tour. Hutch, who does the sound for Queens of the Stone Age, was doing sound for us on that tour. When that ended, Queens was getting ready to release and tour Era Vulgaris. I was brought into the band through Hutch. 
I might have been the first person brought into the band through Hutch. It was a very good decision getting Hutch to do sound for the raconteurs. My life changed completely after that. The raconteurs are kinda sorta-ish responsible for Dean Fertitta being in the... Dead weather. And the Queens of the Stone Age and the Dead Weather. Wowzers. That's... Uh, there's a lot of things starting to connect paul this this podcast has done a lot for our knowledge of jack white <laughs> but there's a lot of puzzle pieces that are slowly starting to fit into place as to why everything is happening the way it should it has happened it's absolutely bonkers i was when i found that i was like holy shit. i mean it's not really a rag and bone because it's just sort of a cool fact it's not funny but it's just sort of like wow and then uh the album was mastered by someone named vlado miller which i have nothing funny to say uh, or interesting about vlado miller mastered icky thump as well there you go yeah. boom yep vlado is is uh he's a well-known mixer and engineer and stuff tag team we did it the av club asked did the adverse recording conditions affect broken boy soldiers brennan benson said very much jack white said every album i've done pretty much has not been in pleasant quote-unquote environment it's freezing cold or with somebody's house with not that great equipment it's always something that spurs on to get the job done at toe rag we did elephant you couldn't even stand up it was freezing cold and this one blistering hot we had to turn the fans off between takes to record <laughs> brandon says there's something about working in adverse conditions being the level-headed one it keeps it interesting i always notice if i ever sit down with a pen and piece of paper and a guitar and have a beverage and an ashtray and i'm comfortable on the couch i fall asleep Patrick Keeler told the AV Club, we're nine songs in, and it's like, shit, we're making a record. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't even really think about it. We didn't have a band name or song titles. Why is Patrick the one sitting in the back just drumming along, and they're just like, ah, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So just to touch on uh, some of the gear that the uh, Racks used when uh, recording and touring this album, Jack used his Gretsch Triple Jet it was his primary electric made by Luthier Randy Parsons, which was a copper top double cutaway duo jet style and the uh, Gretsch logo from 1912. He also used something called a Gretsch duo jet, Jack's other main custom duo jet, and a Gretsch anniversary junior, which had a something called a Bigsby vibrato tailpiece, three filter trons. Uh, which they use mainly on the first tour. He also used something called a Gretsch Triple Green Machine, which is a custom anniversary junior modified with two cutaways and a built-in retractable microphone, which we will get into later when we talk about the song Level. Mm. He also used another Gretsch called the Gretsch Rancher, or that's his Claudette, the Claudette Colbert guitar. Uh, And that's a custom acoustic Jack used, a red and white one with the stripes and a gold and white one with the dead weather. He also used an airline town and country three pickup, which was used on tour and seen in the steady as she goes music video. That would be the first music video, which we will touch on in a moment. Mm. Brendan used a 1959 guild aristocrat and a fender telecaster. So he's going with the meat and potatoes guitars. Uh, telecaster is a, a favorite of Bruce Springsteen and uh, Tom Petty. Yeah. He also used a Gibson flying V and a Gibson Hummingbird. LJ was playing a Rickenbacker 4003 or 4001, as well as an Epiphone Rivoli and a Fender Jazz Bass. And Patrick Keeler was playing a Ludwig kit in gold sparkle finish with a 28-inch kick, 18 by 14-inch kick, 13-inch tom, and a Ludwig Black Beauty Snare. 
and James, they used all of those instruments to record an album, Broken Boy Soldiers. Fantastic. So let's get into the release, shall we? And settle down. The album was released on May 15th, 2006, the year of our Lord, and uh, that was in the UK and the 16th of May in the US. Oddly enough, it was released first on March 12th in Germany. Oh. So the Germans got it first. That would be the Germans. The Germans, huh? All right. We'll just talk about the labels. It was released by, in the UK, Germany, Spain, and New Zealand, it was released on XL. In the US and Canada, it was released on Warner Brothers, one of Jack's first Warner Brothers releases. Mm. In uh, France, it was released by a label called Beggars. They're a company that owns and distributes... Uh, Homeless men and women. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Other labels' recordings, including XL's. In China and Mexico, it was released on a label called Hal Leonard, uh, which... By the way, a year later. And in Argentina, it was released on some records. And James, this is my favorite bit, it was released on cassette tape in Indonesia. Of course it was. Get behind me, Satan. Of course it was. We've already gone over the the famous Indonesian truck stop bit that we did. Yeah, oh, it's famous. It's very very famous. Very famous bit that we did there. So that's great. I'm glad that they got a little taste of uh, Blue Blood Blues and Yellow Sun. They got all the colors of the rainbow. And it looks like Jack and Brendan split publishing between their respective third-string tunes and Chrysalis music. So they, they co-wrote all the songs and split the publishing. That's Brendan's publishing thing, Chrysalis? I didn't dig too far in, but I'm going to go ahead and say with some confidence, yes, I believe that's Brendan's. Okay. It was co-produced by Jack and Brendan, but mixed by Jack, and it was mixed at Ardent Studios in Memphis, a common Jack and Jack-related haunt. Yes, They've been there before. Mastered by Vlado Meller, as we talked about, and engineered by uh, John Hampton and Adam Hill. John Hampton, a musician, producer, and tech guy who performed with Todd Rundgren and was the main producer for the band The Gin Blossoms. Oh, all right. And Adam Hill produced power pop icons Big Star and worked tech stuff for Jack and the White Stripes during the Get Behind Me Satan album. It was mastered at Sony Music Studios in New York, similar to Get Behind Me, Satan. And James, do you have a guess as to where the album title comes from? I'm going to guess that it comes from the song Broken Boy Soldiers. Ah, you were mostly right. Via the AV Club, Jack said, We had a song, Broken Boy Soldier, so we just made it plural. Broken Boy Soldiers. We've been on the road with our other bands forever, and you can put in whatever metaphors you want, or we've all beaten each other up. But what it, what it also boiled down to was a photo shoot for the cover of the album. And we're going to talk about the cover, James. Oh, I'm so curious about this, Paul. The cover was photographed by an artist named Autumn DeWild. Her resume is quite impressive. She photographed album covers for Miranda Cosgrove, Elliot Smith, Jenny Lewis and the Watson Twins, The White Stripes, Fiona Apple, Beck... Built to Spill, Wilco, Monsters of Folk, and Newfound Glory. So there's a Beatle connection, because Monsters of Folk has Danny Harrison in it. Oh, wow. That's cool. She also directed music videos for Elliot Smith, Spoon, Ingrid Michelson, The Raconteurs, Rilo Kylie, and Death Cab for Cutie. Ah, another Jenny Lewis uh, connection there with her. Indeed. She was also married to Elliot Smith's drummer. I guess that's why she did so much for Elliot Smith. 
<laughs> I guess that would also kind of do it. Uh, the cover was designed by Patrick Keeler, though, and an artist named Alexei Shirikov. Alexei is responsible for the calligraphy and the logo. Yeah, Patrick Keeler is kind of an artiste that he doesn't get as much credit, I think, as, as he deserves. But We love Patrick. This is via the AV Club. It looks like you guys have been beaten up on the album artwork. What does that signify? Jack White says... It was the photographer, Autumn DeWild's idea. We did about 30 shoots that day. It was one of those things where, hey, let's take as many photos as we can today, and as many different setups and situations. When we got the photo back, it just seemed to fit. The one thing I like about it is, it looks like we're all on the same page. We're together, whatever the situation and circumstances. It looks like these four guys are in the same spot right now. Patrick Keeler says, I like the idea too. You always see old portraits of families or something, and before, they were all wrestling around in the yard. It's kind of like four brothers or something. So that's kind of helped contribute to the album title. They all were beaten up and looking particularly broken. I see. And James, we are just going to very briefly go into this, but do you want to venture into Trek by Trek Country? Uh, I think we could get out our hiking poles and walk on into track by track on that track trail let's do the track trail james track 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 we're not gonna we're gonna get into basically steady as she goes here and then and then we're gonna call it and and wrap up in the next episode but uh james steady as she goes was the first song jack and brendan co-wrote and demoed together as we talked about earlier in the episode Mm -hmm. via uncut jack said at first i thought it was funny because brendan's always trying to find the beauty in cliched phrases and sometimes he catches (laughs) flack for that so i was trying to do my best brendan i think the big notion in my head was like we're all getting older now and enough of goofing around all our friends are musicians so it was like how much of this world can we stay a part of and how much do we reject brendan says the theme of settling down is kind of an ongoing discussion with myself I haven't really figured it out or come to any conclusions. It's kind of an age-old topic. Jack's approach was a little different, and I didn't quite understand it at first. He came up with the phrase, steady as she goes. And I thought, yeah, that's cool. I never questioned the phrase, kink in the single life. And I didn't think about it too much because I guess I was so preoccupied with other things. Just the fact that we were writing together. (laughs) Your friends have shown a kink single life you've had too much to think now you need a wife steady as she goes so steady as she goes well here we go again you found yourself a friend that knows you well but no matter what you do you'll always feel as though you should Of of all of them, I think Brendan is probably the one to seem the most settled down. But Yes. <laughs> this was released as the band's first single. Uh, there were several versions released. A limited edition 7-inch 45 was released in Europe on January 30th of 2006. And in North America, two months later on March 7th, 2006. It was a double A-side single with the relatively unpromoted store-bought Bones as the flip side. A CD version of Steady As She Goes was released on April 24th with the B-side Bane rendition. (laughs) 
two further vinyl releases were produced. The first marked B with store-bought bones as the B-side. The second marked C, an acoustic rendition of Steady As She Goes with Call It Day as the B-side. And is it the Bane rendition or is it the Zane rendition? There's a couple different ones. The The B-side of that one is the Bane rendition, but there's also another one that's a guy named after this guy named Zane, and that's the Zane rendition, which we'll get to a little bit later. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Raconteur's all-time biggest hit. No surprise. Yeah, that makes sense. Jack White's second biggest hit as a songwriter, which we discussed on the Greatest Hits episode. Mm-hmm. I'll just touch on chart positions here in the U.S. Hot 100. It was number 54. In U.S. Modern Rock, it was number one. U.S. Mainstream Rock, number 30. Adult Pop Songs, number 19. Digital Songs, number 37. And in the U.K. Hot 100, number four. It was a nice, long, lengthy run, one of Jack's longest and highest performing in Britain. Two weeks in the top 10, another two in the top 20, another four in the top 40, followed by another 13 weeks in the top 100. And then it recharted in the UK two years later in July of 2008. He found a chart that he has to top. (laughs) This is a major hit for not only the band, but Jack in general. An advance of the single was released in Britain in January and in March in the U.S. to coincide with the start of their live performances. Via Uncut Magazine, we thought it was a good blessing for the band to start off on vinyl, referring to Steady As She Goes, single that was released in January only on vinyl in the U.K. The song sounded so immediate that it just felt right. Life since the single came out has been amazing. The band has changed so much since then, and it hasn't even been that long. There are a total of two music videos for the song. Brendan apparently said to Jack in the process of recording a go-kart sequence in their second music video, quote, did you ever think it would lead to this? Referring to the day the pair got together to record in Brendan's attic. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, the cow one, sure. I could see it leading to the cow one. Uh, the <laughs> the go-kart one is, pardon the pun, but zany. Yeah, and featuring Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, my God. Yeah, so via this is via Wikipedia, which I found pretty much corroboratable, so I feel comfortable enough sharing it here. Uh, there were two music videos for Steady As She Goes. The first music video was directed by Jim Jarmusch and focuses on the band performing the song. It premiered on MTV2 on March 10, 2006, and was available for streaming on the band's website. In the second music video, the raconteurs teamed up with Paul Rubens, best known for Pee Wee Herman. In this video, each band member plays an imaginary speed racing hero in an old-fashioned soapbox race, following the heroes on their cutthroat chase for first place. Rubens plays an unscrupulous pit boss, stooping to low levels to ensure a win for his racer, Jack Lawrence. Lawrence and Rubens, wearing a standard melodrama villain handlebar mustache, cheat many times throughout the race to make sure that Lawrence wins. Patrick falls off a cliff, Brendan crashes, and Rubens shoots White, a.k.a. the copper kid, with a blowgun. <laughs> I love this way more now than I ever have, because I... <laughs> I completely forgotten about this video, like the details of it, and remembering that Paul Rubens is in it, it, it just makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, this is during that period of time where they were making two videos for like super popular songs. I believe they did the same with the Thong song. <laughs> the latter, that Rubens video premiered exclusively on Yahoo Music on June nineteenth, two thousand six. The song was also covered by various artists of the day, including Corinne Bailey Ray. Saddle for a while, neither up or down. 
Sell it to the crowd that's gathered round. Steady as you go. Fits in the tantrums. Live a simple life in the quiet town. Oh, steady as she goes, steady as she goes. Oh, steady as she goes, steady as she goes. And Adele, who would later cover Many Shades of Black. So steady as she goes. It was nominated for a Grammy for Best Rock Performance by a duo or group with vocal and showed up in a variety of other media, including a season one episode of Psych, a show called The Saturday Sessions, Guitar Hero 5, Lego Rock Band, Rock Band 2, and was the theme song to BBC Radio 4 show Saturday Live. This was a big single for the Raconteurs, James, and is a fitting way to wrap up part one of our Broken Boy Soldiers deep dive, wouldn't you say? I'd say it's just tied in a little bow. So now, James, we're going to kick it to our third woman for this week. Let's kick it to our third woman this week. Welcome to our third woman this week. Callie Durga. Callie, you're back. It's so good to be back. Hello. (laughs) We missed you. Yeah. But it was definitely a lot of fun to do this before. So it's going to be really interesting to be back. And I think a lot of fun. I'm really excited about this topic. Yeah. Us too. We did this crazy deep dive into Broken Boy Soldiers, and it's such an expansive dive here. We had to do it in two parts, and so you're going to join us for both of those, and uh, you found some really cool stuff, I'm to understand. I hope it's cool. It's cool to me, but uh, I might be a a really big nerd, and it might not be as interesting to other people, but uh, we'll see how people react. You're talking to two guys who host a Jack (laughs) podcast. Yeah, I think big nerd is an... Yeah, I figure if, uh, <laughs> if anybody could appreciate it, probably you guys could. <laughs> James and I James and I spent 45 minutes last week talking about Brendan Benson's attic, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Callie, you're going to talk to us a little bit about Intimate Secretary here. You found some really cool stuff as it pertains to this song on the album, which happens to be, I might add, my favorite track on that album. There's a lot of great tracks to choose from. But just as a preface for that song, it's my favorite on the album because it's Brendan at his purest and it's Jack at his purest, in my opinion. And it's it's a Reese's cup, you know, of those two together.
by Jack and yeah. your Brandon. Yeah, yeah. There's there's like teacups, and then there's you know. Um, Ecclesiarchy. So anyway, Callie, uh, we're going to just let let you take it away here and um, just educate us. And this time, you don't have to tell us after the fact how wrong we are. You can just tell us straight up. Well, I don't know how many people are aware of this. Uh, I wasn't when I first got the record, but I learned it through a conversation a handful of years ago on the Little Room message board that apparently there are a handful of references to Freemasonry in the uh, mm. in the lyrics to this song particularly in Jack's part. For people not familiar with Freemasonry, it's a secular fraternal organization that's been around for centuries. Its origins are murky. It's not associated with any specific religion, like some people believe it might be, but it does require belief in a supreme being. Members of Freemasonry progress through a series of degrees, studying a broad variety of allegories and symbolism for the purpose of spiritual development, betterment of the self, through charity and benevolence, and through paper, they uh, they they uh, they do paper right as well. W. B. Mason office supplies. Is that the uh, same thing? Really? No. <laughs> I was waiting for something Goodbye. like that. <laughs> I've also heard they're a part of the Illuminati, but yeah, see that's the I thing feel about like the Jack Masons. And they, are... they have shrouded all the rituals and things in in mystery, so everybody comes up with all these weird ideas about them, like the Illuminati or just. That they're a bunch of religious kooks or, or whatever. Office supplies. Um, but it's actually, there's a lot of information about what they believe both on the internet. And if you happen to go to a Masonic temple like the one in Detroit and take a tour, they're happy to tell you all about what they do and, and what they believe and I'm everything. sure they are. It's a hell of a secret society. Yeah, people in those situations tend to be really eager to tell you all about them and what they do. Nah, trust me, it's it's not as weird as as it seems. Okay. And honestly, in the uh, today's culture right now, as divisive and ugly as a lot of things have gotten, some of the ideas that the Masons have would be welcome. Okay. Ideas like benevolence and charity and tolerance and and so forth. So that they're really not as weird and and kooky as a lot of the stereotypes about them would, le- would lead you to believe. Hmm. As for the song, the references are, are to some of the degrees that I just mentioned, the degrees that members go through. A fellow's craft. Fellow craft is the second degree of Scottish Rite Masonry. Uh, intimate secretary is the sixth degree. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. This is crazy. I, this is absolutely wild. I, I was actually really surprised that he didn't choose the third degree. Uh, Fellows yeah, Craft is second real. degree. So he was off, Jack was off by one. Um, but <laughs> Intimate Secretary is the sixth degree, which when you get to that degree, they stress development of a sense of duty, generosity, humbleness, control of temper. Later on in the song, he refers to Inspector Inquisitor, which is the 31st degree, which is the level of a judge. Towards the end, there's mention of the illustrious master, which is a degree in the York Rite system of masonry. Huh. You mentioned that some of them are Scottish, and some, so that's, I guess, different sects of Different branches, masonry. apparently, yeah. yeah. Okay, because the Scottish thing makes a lot of sense, and as does the, I mean, the other English stuff, because he has connections to both of those things. Mm-hmm. That, that fascinating. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't get into um, researching the different branches of Masonry, the Scottish Rite versus York and so forth, because there is just so much information out there. I literally was on the Internet until 2 a.m. the other night. 
because this is just a huge rabbit hole when you start getting into it. I'm really happy to hear, though, that Tom York really found a religion that <laughs> pertains to him. It's a bad joke. I'm just going to erase her that from the uh, podcast. Uh, okay, computer. <laughs> yeah. How is that worse than the uh, mention of W.H. Uh, Mason? It's all bad. It's <laughs> I, Let me tell you, that wasn't a joke. Honest to God, I thought they did the office supplies, too. Yes. I don't. What do you? I don't know. I don't know. Two in, other interesting things to note: um, the song "Level" also contains mm. a Masonic reference. The term "on the level" that people use, kind of, as just as a slang term to say that somebody is is okay, uh, apparently comes from Freemasonry. It was a reference to the fact that all brothers are equals; they're all on the same level. Huh. So that's a second one within the same album. the first of the two vault challenge coins mm-hmm. uh, from that vault package last year. I do. Yeah. While I was doing all my research, I one of the handshakes that Freemasons share looked awful familiar. So I pulled out my vault uh, challenge coin and it's apparently one of the ritual handshakes of the fellow craft degree. Wow. Huh. So there's so, so is Jack a Mason? <laughs> huh? Yeah, I mean, it seems that's like that's, that's a good question. Um, I was telling Wait. There's three points on the Illuminati eye. I'm beginning to think there's some weird connection to Jack White. And Jay-Z. Jay-Z is rumored to be in the Illuminati, and Jack's friends with Jay-Z. Oh, my God, Paul. Maybe they met a, met each other at an Illuminati mixer. Like, they have those, right? <laughs> yes. Or like a... They have or them at like the a, WB Mason warehouse. <laughs> or like a, like a potluck. There, yeah. there is a subreddit for Freemasonry uh, where people there wondered if Jack was a Mason. There are a couple of threads there <laughs> about intimate secretary where people wondered this. So who knows? He might be. And if his mother was an usher there, um, who knows? Maybe his father was a Mason. Maybe that's how he first learned about all this stuff. But it's, it's obvious that he's got some interest in it, some of which is also due to the fact that the Masonic Temple in Detroit is a place that literally looms large. It covers a whole city block, and it's a very tall building, but it also figuratively looms large for him because he went to Cass Tech High School right down the street from it. Mm-hmm. His mother was an usher in one of the theaters there. It's just a couple blocks from the gold dollar and the magic stick and everything. Right. You know, I see a lot of people do pilgrimages to Hotel Yorba and Jack's childhood home in Mexican town and everything, and I think anybody who is interested in doing that you know, if they go to Detroit and they want to see the places that were important in Jack's life, they really should include the Masonic Temple there. How many people has he killed? <laughs> you think that would be on the Internet? Are you kidding me? <laughs> the way he can keep a secret? Please. Please. We can't find out what the next vault package is before they announce it. You think we're going to find out who he's killed? Yeah, well. Besides, that's what he keeps little Jack around for. <laughs> that's so funny yeah I found that was one of my favorite quotes in this whole process of researching Broken Boy Soldiers he, he, the, the best quote was besides I couldn't shoot the bass player in the white stripes and now I have that opportunity 
But basically, yeah, I just I think that anybody who you know who's headed to Detroit to check out Cass Corridor and you know if they want to swing by Hotel Yorba, they should also swing by the Masonic Temple and uh, even see if they can take a tour of it. Because it's, it's a fascinating place, and it, it definitely is one of those things that, you know, you can tell by intimate secretary that uh, Jack carries around in his head with him. Yeah. Something he's got a connection to. Oh, and the other thing, you know, if you really want to realize that how much of a connection he's got, I mean, I don't know if you guys heard a couple of years ago about him donating $142,000 to pay off the back taxes for the Masonic Temple. Whoa. I did hear about that. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the few, like, the couple charitable things he did in, re- in the recent past for Detroit that was like part of his mending it seemed of ties yeah I don't know if it's that so much as just him continuing to support the place even in absentia these places are obviously important to him mm-hmm. he apparently made this donation anonymously or he wanted it to remain anonymous but the the people at the temple offered to name one of the theaters after him the Scottish Rite Theater where oh. the White Stripes had played and I, when we were there for the Lazaretto show at the Masonic Temple, while we were standing in line, the general manager came out a couple times and was just chatting with us. One of the things that he told me was that Jack's management company finally convinced him to let them name the theater and make the donation public. Huh. He, he had really wanted to keep it quiet, and it took his management company's convincing. Yeah for him to end up with that theater named after him. So, you know, if you go and take the tour now, you can see what used to be the Scottish Rite Theater, but is now the Jack White Theater, <laughs> as well as learning a little bit something of something about masonry. So it's definitely, I, definitely worth it. I could understand his reticence, particularly given his complicated history with, with Detroit, you know, that he's gone through a bunch of breakups in his life, but the breakup he had with that city, I think is the thing that, hurt him the most um, or at least had the biggest effect on his music and even splitting with his wife I don't think had quite the effect that the, that the Detroit thing had so I I can understand his reticence but as James was saying him, him mending fences now and it's not and it's not as if he was ever at war with the temple but I could see how it would be perceived oh well you know Jack's coming back and wanting his name plastered all over the city I I, I could see how something like that might have given him pause, you know. Well, I'm happy he agreed to do it. Well, it's it, not the first time, apparently. Um, I mean, he had done, several years before that, he had done another anonymous donation that people, at least people believe that it was him who um, donated a comparable amount of money to uh, Clark Park, the baseball field where mm-hmm. he played as a kid. <laughs> One of my friends who was also at the Lazaretto Tour show at the Masonic said one of the security guards there told her that he has actually donated much more money to them than just the donation that became public. So I, I think you might be right in part that, yeah, he doesn't want his name out there associated with all of this because of, of the implications of, you know, I'm, with him coming back there, having his name out there might be kind of obnoxious, uh, like he's doing it intentionally. Right, right. But apparently there's been a lot from the sound of it, that nobody knows about, that he has managed to keep quiet. So I, I kind of feel that the main thrust behind it is just his love of Detroit. Yeah. That, you know, in his mind, maybe it's not so much mending fences as just no matter what kind of issue there might have been, he still loved the place and still supports right. it. And whether it's the baseball park or the Masonic Temple, he's going to do whatever he can to 
to support the city and the places in it that mean something to him. And he's not just giving giving money, he's giving jobs now, and, you know, yeah. I, th- I think he's yeah. doing it the right way. So it's, Yeah, uh, yeah, now with uh, the Cass Corridor store there, he is able to do these things much more publicly, um, right, like right. you said, with creating jobs and so forth. So what, what was that show like? That's that's awesome. You, you saw the Lazaretto tour at the at that temple? Yeah, it was it was a phenomenal show. I was also at the Fox Theater show a couple nights before, which was a roller coaster of a show because he apparently wasn't getting the crowd response he wanted, and he got pissed off. And um, <laughs> so it was like he was he was exhilarated to be playing there because it was a, again a place that meant something to him. The Fox Theater had special meaning for him, but at the same time he was pissed off. So it was just it, it was an electric show, and then oh the show at the Masonic was general admission rather than seated. So the crowd was a little looser. They were much more responsive. So it was like a great big celebration. It was just phenomenal show. There were so many moments in it that were just incredible. And there was one thing that happened for me and two friends particularly that kind of ties in with the new segment that you guys have created. I don't know if you've heard about that show that, uh, Jack pulled three women up on the stage with him Mm -mm. during my doorbell. No. No. It was me and two friends. What? Yeah. That's awesome. There were a couple shows before that where he, there was one show like a week or whatever before where he pulled a girl up on the stage and she didn't know what to do. She was just kind of standing there and and he like kept handing her his guitars like he thought she would try to play and and she didn't. But she was, you know, she was up there through the end of the show, and then a couple nights later, he pulled a guy up on stage who did know how to play guitar and who joined him in playing Seven Nation Army. What? Uh, and then, oh my god! That night at the Masonic, he did it again. He came over in front of us, and I didn't see the signal, whatever signal he made. But two of his texts came out, and you know, I figured they were just coming to fix something like they always do. But our friend Daniel, who was standing behind us, said that he saw Jack kind of motion to the to us and next thing I know my friend Sharon next to me is like levitating up in the air <laughs> and the the roadie who's on the stage is like helping her come over the barrier onto the stage and and I'm watching this and and I didn't even think there was no conscious thought at all I just I grabbed the barrier and started pushing myself up and I'm short <laughs> so I wasn't getting very far next thing I know Daniel's grabbing me around the waist and shoving me up and I got my feet up on the barrier and I looked toward the stage and there's I think his name's Abraham, one of Jack's um, tech guys. He's holding out his hand to me, like, come on over. So I grabbed him, and I stepped across. I looked down at our other friend, Eleanor, and she's looking up at me like, what, what? And I said, come on. (laughs) So I get up on the stage, and there's, you know, Sharon standing by the mic stand, and I don't even know where Jack was. He was off playing guitar, like, over on the other side of the stage. And... I go over by Sharon, and next thing I know, Eleanor comes up behind us, and here comes Jack, and the four of us ended up at the mic stand singing the last chorus of my doorbell.
were, did you each have different hair colors and was there red blonde no, and brunette? No, no, it was almost, it was almost perfect. It was one blonde and two redheads. Uh-huh. So, but we were all where we had been to the um, baseball game the night before where he threw out the first pitch and mm-hmm. we were all wearing the first pitch t-shirt that they were selling from the rolling record store that night. So oh, I'm, wow. I kind of wonder if that's why, if, because he came over mm-hmm. because of... Um, we were all three in that in a row in that T-shirt right there on the rail. Are there are there because he has the uh, photographers at all his yes, shows? Yes, there there get, are pictures. Got... No way! I want to see them. <laughs> there are oh, pictures. send there's, those. There's I want to see them. Um, a snippet of video that uh, it didn't. I don't know if it made it to YouTube, but a uh, f- guy I know uh, who records a lot of shows sent me a snippet. Oh, that's awesome. That I think Nick Boat from the TMRC group. I think he uh, also mm-hmm. recorded it, but I never got a copy of that. Wow. So yeah, that that uh, that was one thing that for me and uh, and my friends definitely made that show. Wow! Right up that, there in the, in yeah, the top that three. <laughs> yeah, that would have made my life. I, that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, that is uh, that is quite a story. Like we have a lot of third hand stories. You have a first hand experience yeah. on stage. That is amazing. It it, it was a trip. It was a trip. It was it's one of those, for some reason I, I I don't have very clear memories of it, but it mm-hmm. just it was it was not. I know when we were leaving the stage, when the song was over, Jack kind of pointed and told us to go off to the side, and my legs gave out. I I felt ended up falling on my back on the stage and like kicking my feet against it because I was just like so giddy. <laughs> and jumped up and we all ran over to the side of the stage and we ended up over there for the rest of the show uh, next to the you know the friends and family who were sitting over on the side. Wow, was his mom there? I think she would might have been on the other side of the stage because that's where his kids oh, were. Okay. I didn't yeah, recognize okay. anybody who was over on our side of the stage. I hear they're all very sweet, though, especially his mother, who was uh, a lot of people were telling me that they met her met her at the uh, the cast corridor opening, and mm-hmm. uh, she was apparently very very nice to a lot of uh, very obsessive fans. I'm sure. <laughs> but. I, I saw her at. Um, show at Red Rocks in Colorado on the Blunderbuss tour and she was like walking back and forth across the, the front of the audience looking like she's a tiny tiny little woman I mean she's probably not yeah. even five feet tall but she looked large and in charge like <laughs> yeah. she was checking out the crowd and making sure that uh, that we, we, there was a good one so wow. she, she looks like she's probably a very cool woman yeah, that experience. Uh, I, I can think of no better end to this segment than that. Thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate it, and we're going to meet you back here next episode next week, where we'll talk a little bit more. But uh, until then, thank you, Callie, for uh, for popping on the show again. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Callie. Thanks, Dan. Let's get back to the show. <laughs> well, Paul, that was excellent. Thank you so much Excellent. for starting that path down the that, that go-kart race to the finish of Broken Boy Soldiers. <laughs> that brings us to the end of the episode, though, and I think we want to give a couple shout-outs, yeah? Yeah, we got some new people who have been responding to the show on social media. We'd like to thank here. We've got Jimmy Donders. Got thank you, Donders. Jimmy. We got Lisa Martin. Thank you, Lisa. We got the Lisa. Martin. We got Crystal Becker. Thank you, Becker. Got the Becker. We have Brennan Smith. Thank you, Brennan. We got that, Smith. Uh, Michael Bansing. Thank you, Michael. Bansing. And we've got Jenny Davis. Thank Davis, you so much, Davis, Jenny. Davis, Davis, Davis. 
And then we've got, was that a Pokemon thing? I don't know. Uh, and then we've got our regulars, people who follow the show on the reg. We've got Jeremy Riles keeping us on the rails. Thanks, Jeremy. We got Kelly Durga, our third woman and third woman in perpetuity. Uh, Kelly Durga, thank you, Kelly. Thank you for joining us on the show, Kelly. You were great. Uh, we have Adrian King, the punk rock queen. Thank you, Adrian. We got Andre Lyman, Andre Ice Cold Lyman. Thank you, Andre. Andre, you're great. Yeah. Eileen Corsano, we see you over there, Eileen. We got David Poe. Poe, Poe, Poe. And we got S.A. Franco. Who are you? We got Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. Oh, and Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. We'd like to thank Sam Cuber and Tom Valenti for the help McCoy of our theme song, We're the Third Men. We'd also like to thank Susanna Roundtree for the intro and outro of our program. And, oh, we have so many ways to contact us over social media. Yes, we got our Facebook where there's discussions of popping and a locking and a losing control. We got Facebook.com slash Third Men. You could tweet at us at Third Men Cast on Twitter. You could find all sorts of conversations going on over there. Lots of people following. We got our Tumblr where you could tumble down with us and see what things we're posting at thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You could go right to the source on our WordPress, thethirdmen.wordpress.com, where we post our show and show notes. Yeah, you could send us an email, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You could visit us on our iHeartRadio page. Just search Spreaker. That's S. P-R-E-A-K-E-R dot com and search The Third Men. You'll find us on there. You can search us on YouTube where James does a lot of cool visualizers and funny little bits from the show. And then please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. There's a contest going. Just please, guys, just do it already you know enough um and then you can go to you can find us on Acast and uh and hey if you want to send listener questions we'll, we'll do those for the show too well james until next week for part two i will be looking for a home i'll be looking for a home in a very hot attic <laughs> we'll see you next week bye bye For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Speed through this because I'm hungry for Chinese food. I got oh. it. Yeah, what are what is this segment we're in right now? This is uh, confuse your confusion. <laughs> lose your con- no. I salute your confusion. Lose your con- uh, no. no. Lose your confusion. This guy. Yes, I'm sorry. I just stepped off a plane and into a glass of Cabernet. So uh, this is going to get real fast and loose. Yeah, and I just ate a big bowl full of gnocchi. And it's going to get real (laughs) slow and heavy for me. There will also be some looseness involved. (laughs) 
I'm Brandon. What's her name? <laughs> Excuse me, Scoutmaster Swank. My Chinese food is here. I do declare. <laughs> the AV Club asked, did the adverse recording condition... I just farted. Uh, the AV Club asked, did the... I did it again. <laughs> it's three on the A minor, one on the E minor, and then back to the A minor, so... Yeah.